The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and joined this week by Melissa Lockard, who covers the Oakland A's for The Athletic. And Melissa is as plugged in and as knowledgeable as any uh, beat writer, beat reporter uh, that I know. And uh, I just thought it would be really fun to kind of talk about the A's, even though, you know, they don't have a ton of big names on the big league roster. But we have so many players on this roster who are kind of getting a chance to show what they have at the big league level. And they've got a replenished farm system. So I thought it would be a great time to have Melissa on. Uh, Melissa, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So before we get into any players, I just really wanted to quickly let you sort of give um, kind of a report on where things kind of stand with uh, fans and ownership uh, there, because I know that's been kind of a messy situation for a while now, and it's kind of coming to a head, it seems, uh, this year. Uh, What's your sort of read on this whole situation uh, from someone who is pretty plugged in there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a strange time. You know, the, the stadium saga has been one that has gone on, you know, really for almost 25 years. You know, it's it's been a long time. Um, and it's at a point where, you know, from a votes perspective, from some of the regulatory work perspective that they have, that there's kind of a tipping point that's coming soon uh, about whether they're going to be able to build that stadium at Howard Terminal in Oakland that they would like to build. Um, and it's coming at the same time that, you know, ownership has decided basically not to invest anything in anything, but, you know, this stadium uh, project, which, you know, I mean, from a business perspective, perhaps you could see some reasoning behind it, but they've done it with very little communication whatsoever with their fan base. They've also raised ticket prices at the current uh, location, which uh, seemed awfully tone deaf when you consider the moves that they were making on the field. Um, And coming off of a pandemic, which, uh, you know, out in the Bay Area, certainly there has been uh, less of a quick return to, I think, what people would consider normal Um, in general. I think even you saw the Giants attendance was not pre-pandemic levels in their initial homestand either. So all those things coming together at once, you know, have created a situation where I think crowds like you saw in the Tuesday night game are going to be fairly common at the start of the year. You know, that being said, it's a fan base that has loved this team through some really bad stuff over the years. Um, And this team so far has had the kind of personality that I think uh, 
fans really identify with and can kind of get behind. And if perhaps they lower the ticket prices, I think you might see the seats fill up pretty quickly. Um, not full capacity, but certainly uh, respectable crowds. So uh, we'll have to see which way they're going. Um, you know, they operate so leanly in terms of back office personnel uh, on all sides that I think sometimes what looks like indifference is actually just not enough people to do all the jobs that need to get done, which is such a shame. Um, so that's kind of where it's at right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely always gotten the, the sense from afar that the A's have a, have a great fan base and it's just, it's uh it's a shame that, uh, this is kind of where we're at, but, um, yeah, I mean, let's, let's get into these, these players. I, I think, uh, I just want to start at catcher Sean Murphy to me is, uh, just a really solid, uh, real life player, uh, defense power, uh, buddy, but he's kind of always had some durability issues. He's a big guy. It seemed like he maybe wore down towards the end of last season. And then they acquired Shay Langoliers, who in many ways is kind of a similar uh, player to, to Murphy, where he's a defender, a good defender who's got some pop in the bat at, at catcher. Uh, do you sort of see those two maybe at, at this point next year? Uh, just having an even split there in an effort to kind of keep Murphy healthy all season? Yeah, you know, it's really been interesting because, you know, Murphy was, from the moment he arrived, you know, in professional baseball, a big league catcher, really. Like his defense was that good, even in short season, which is kind of hard to to even believe when you see catching at the minor league level most of the time. Um, and so his hitting was something he hadn't really put a lot of time into, frankly, uh, into a certain point. And he really did start zeroing in on that. And you've seen the fruits of that. Um, you've seen even this season so far when they've been resting him, he's often been the DH and number four hitter in this lineup. Um, and granted, it's it's a kind of different sort of lineup, but still it's a number four hitter for, for a catcher. Um, so I don't know that we've seen the full potential of what Sean Murphy can be yet. M many of his injuries were kind of fluky. There were two hamate bone injuries. There was a, a collapsed lung, um, you know, things that that are not necessarily baseball related that, that landed him on the um on the shelf. So, um, but that being said, I remember last year when they required Jan Gomes, uh, Bob Melvin said, listen, the day of catchers catching 140 games, the way Jonathan Lucroy or Jason Kendall might have done in the past are, are over. Like that's just not something they would want to do. And you need two good catchers on a competitive team. So definitely I could see him sharing time with Shay Langoliers. I think it gives them uh, a lot of flexibility to have two players that were you know, of that caliber at that position, that's such a hard position to fill. Um, they really didn't have much depth behind Murphy before this year. Um, I think you've seen, you know, Tyler Sordstrom is maybe going to stick a catcher. And I know we'll, we'll probably talk a lot more about him later, um, but he's a bat first catcher certainly, and is a couple of years away. Um, you got Jonah Bride moving to catcher, but was really a third baseman. And that was kind of it. Uh, Kyle McCann's looked a little better at double A than he did last year. But um, this gave them actual real depth behind it, a very important position. So I don't know if we can project fully what's going to happen yet. Um, but uh, them sharing that position, I think both could still get regular at bats, you know, going through DH. So for fantasy purposes, I, I think... Uh people have been very interested to sort of see how the playing time is going to shake out here uh, because there are at bats to be had at, at almost every position. If, if guys perform uh, how much are you buying the hot starts from a couple veterans in Elvis Andrews and Jed Lowry, and then a, a younger guy who's kind of 
you know, he's had some shots here and there, um, but has never really quite put it together in Sheldon Noisy. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Elvis was a lot better after the first pace six weeks of last season. And I don't know that he'll ever come close to what he was with Texas, but I think he's better than what his overall numbers would have indicated last year. Um, you know, that being said, I'm not expecting like a breakout year from him. You know, Jed was interesting because I think if you looked at his batted ball data last year, he had some of the hardest hit, you know, rates of anybody in the league, really. Um, and I think what you know, needs to be done with him is just monitoring his playing time, figuring out where he'll play defensively. You know, I think he's probably detrimental in most positions that you'd put him at, but you can move him around. Um, obviously, he's on the COVID IL right now, so uh, it's not clear exactly when he'll come back. But um, I think he will get regular playing time. I think Elvis will probably get regular playing time um, up until the point that perhaps he's playing well enough that they can deal him so that they can give that playing time to, to uh, Nick Allen, which I think they'd prefer to do at some point. Um, and then Sheldon, you know, I've always been a big fan of Sheldon Noisy. I, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that in the A system, there were some people who in their player de development department that thought he was their best prospect. And, you know, he hit some uh, developmental um kind of challenges at AAA. His approach was needing work. Um, and then they got to a point last year where he hadn't put it together yet and they needed a reliever. They made that trade. Uh, but I always really liked what he could do with the bat if he could get the ball in the air a little more. And it looks like his his swing has changed just enough that he might be able to do that a little bit. Um, and the fact that he can play second and third base, he can play some first base if you need him to, really gives him the flexibility to get some pretty regular playing time. Where's Noisy's best defensive position you, you know he's an awfully good third baseman when he's playing there every day I mean he, he was you know he's not Matt Chapman but he was not that far behind Matt Chapman in terms of what you would see from him coming up um second base is new and yet he really I mean he, he basically come up came up in 2019 had played like four games at second base and they threw him out there and he did fine which I think tells you quite a lot about his athleticism you know a natural shortstop that just kind of got too big to stick there. But um, I, I think, I, you know, I, I see him being somebody who could move around to both, you know, little DJ LeMay who kind of deal defensively um, and, and play some first base. You mentioned uh, Nick Allen in passing. He just got uh, promoted to, to the big leagues uh, for, for his big league debut. Uh, obviously defense has been sort of his calling card uh, all the way up the ladder and then there have been questions about just how much he's going to hit. Uh, do you do you see him hitting enough to be an everyday player in, in time? I do. You know, he's really made some significant strides as a hitter. Uh, he when he first came up, I think you know he wanted to pull everything. Um, I think he saw himself maybe a little bit different offensively than what his body type and swing path and everything was going to take him to. And, um, you know, halfway through his first full professional year, they sat him down. They said, listen, right field is where you're going to live. You know, this is what you, the kind of player that you have to do. And he really bought into it. And, um, he's not going to hit a ton of homers, but I think he's one of those guys that's going to run into a few, just sort of dropping the hands on an inside pitch, you know, sort of uh, maybe Mark Ellis style, if you want to throw back a little bit. Uh, but that's actually sort of the kind of hitter I, I, I see him being, you know, he's, he's going to hit for decent average. He's going to get on base a decent amount. He's going to steal some bases. And then, you know, he might run into eight to 10 homers a year um, while playing outstanding defense. 
Yeah, that's that's a good player. If he can, if he can just keep his. He's head one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody you talk to, you know, coaches, teammates. Uh, I mean, it's just it, everybody that sees him play on a regular basis just absolutely loves Nick Allen, and this dates back to you know when he was in high school, um, and 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 I think that's the kind of player that you'll see when you get up there. So another premium up the middle defender, uh, Christian Pache, who they they recently acquired uh, this off season. Uh, I've seen him make some some pretty remarkable plays in the field. Uh, he hit his first uh, pro home run or big league home run, I should say. Uh, what's the what's that experience been like so far? Yeah, he's just a ball of energy, like a really fun, fun player. Um, you know, I think in a different environment, probably his bat would need a little more time in AAA to get to where maybe he can maximize that. I think his approach hasn't quite, he's good bat to ball, but it's like maybe the the pitch selection isn't quite what it could be at, at this point yet. Um, but the defense is, I mean, better than I think I had even anticipated it being. Uh, the reads are really impressive. You know, he's not afraid to take control of, he was calling off Elvis Andrews coming in on uh, pop-ups coming you know, and as a, first year rookie player and a veteran, you know, that's pretty impressive to see somebody do that. Um, so, you know, I see him being somebody that's going to give you so much defensive value that the bat's probably just extra um, and uh, kind of Kevin Kiermaier ish, I think maybe. And, um, but he's got enough power that I think, again, like he'll run into some home runs. The, the speed is really electric and kind of forces defenses to pay attention. And I think if you can have a lineup where he's at the bottom of it, and he's playing every day in center field and that's productive. I think you're going to have a really solid team eventually. Yeah. You know, I, I thought the trade was really good for his career uh, because he's the type of guy where I think he just needs to be left alone in the lineup. And it, like his defense is obviously great, like you said, but I just think going from a team like Atlanta where there was always going to be pressure on him to produce to a team like Oakland, where he's got maybe a bit more, of a free, you know, runway to kind of show what he has. I, I think that could actually end up being really good for him. Um, yeah. And he doesn't have the kind of expectations that came with everybody thinking he was the number one prospect in that organization too. And I know that can be a, a weight on players sometimes. Um, so he kind of comes over as an unknown and basically everyone's just tickled with everything that he's doing, which I think has been really fun. So I've, I've always had a soft spot for Tony Kemp dating back to when he was in the Astros organization obviously some some limitations physically and from a power standpoint but I've, i was really excited uh, that he was going to get a shot to sort of show what he had this year uh, given the state of the roster uh do you think tony kemp can hold the leadoff spot for the a's all season and do, do you think he profiles as someone who could be with this team for a while yeah, I mean, I think from a hitting perspective, he does everything that they would really like to see from somebody at the top of the order. He's he's a very tough at bat. Um, you know, he's got the speed to make uh, teams nervous when he gets on base. Um, you know, he he can turn the lineup over either from the top or the bottom of the order. So I think, and he's got no ego. So you put him nine or you put him one, it's, it's not going to impact him. I think the key is going to be whether defensively he can – be solid enough that it's not an issue. I think so far this, the defense at second base has been um, more problematic than I, I was anticipating, frankly, from what I saw last year. Um, turns on double plays in particular have not mm. been great. So, you know, he can still play left field, um, but I think they may find better options from just an overall offensive production 
percentage, but uh, I think they're going to give him a run because he was really effective at the plate last year. I mean, he was really one of their better hitters um, in like 350 or however many at-bats that he got. Um, so giving him a chance for 500 at-bats, I think, would certainly be worthwhile to do before you have to make a real decision about where he'd be full-time. And he's such a great clubhouse guy and great guy to have around anyway that I think he's an asset to the team regardless. That's interesting what you said about the the defense because, yeah, I mean, he, he can't really afford to slide down the defensive spectrum really. Um, right. So he, he's, he is going to have to to hold his own there. <clears throat> um, do you think uh, like how, how much runway does Kevin Smith have? Uh, I, I know that he, he was kind of a, a popular uh, fantasy pick after that trade, just because people were looking at the triple the A numbers and the power and the, the speed that he showed there. But Obviously, we know the the jump from AAA to the majors was was massive uh, last year, and he's already I think what twenty five, um, and he's he's at a rough start. Do you do you think they give him a full season, or is he going to have to start producing? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, he just went on the aisle today with a bone bruise in his ankle, so I don't know if that's going to keep him out a long time or a short time. And it's a shame because he actually really had once he got to Toronto. I don't know if it was being around you know, familiar faces or whatever it was, uh, what we saw in spring training from his bat really seemed to come back. Um, and I think they were really pleased with how he hit in, in spring training. Um, they liked, you know, what they could see from him at shortstop and at third base. Um, so I don't think they were going to give up on him just because of two bad series in, in Philadelphia and Tampa. But um, if the bone bruise is something that takes a while to heal and somebody else like a Nick Allen um, or a Sheldon Noisy establishes themselves in the meantime, unfortunately that, you know, could cut into to the runway that he would have gotten, you know, that being said that they have nothing but time this year, right? Like, you know, as fun as the start has been, I don't think anyone's anticipating them competing all the way through the end of the year. And he's a player they really liked. So I, I don't see them, you know, not giving him at least another extended look um, at some point this season once he's healthy. Okay, yeah, I totally missed that he went on the the IL. So uh, thanks for thanks for mentioning that. I mean, bone, bone bruises are are uh, worse than they than they sound sometimes. So hopefully, yeah, and it's one of those where it was like he jammed his foot back into the bag, and you know, given half the team is on the COVID IL, it's like you yeah. know maybe it's not something that would have been an IL situation, or if if it, you know they didn't have such a shorthanded roster at the moment, and it is a ten day IL right now. But um, you know we'll have to kind of wait and see on that, but it, but it is a shame that he has to take time off because he was really swinging the bat a lot better. A uh, couple guys that, you know, have been with the A's prior to this season uh, seems like they, they could carve out really big roles on this team. Uh, Chad Pinder and then Seth Brown um, is, is Brown in a platoon right now. And then it, out of those two, who do you think um, is going to finish the season with better fantasy numbers? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Brown, if you're looking for RBIs, I mean, the dude just knows how to, how to, you know, bring runners in. And I know that's a very old fashioned concept that this idea that someone's like a run producer, but he really is exactly how you used to think of guys as being run producers. He's not super high on base percentage guy, although he gives you good at bats, his batting average is going to be, you know, probably pretty mediocre, but he's going to hit home runs and he's going to drive in a lot of runs. And that's always been his track record. Um, and you've seen that already. Uh, you know, I think, I don't think he's in a platoon. I think, you know, he's shown that he can hang in there enough against left-handed, um, pitching and, you know, right now with the way the lineup is constructed, there's no reason to take him out. Um, 
Uh, so, and he's played even some center field at this point. He's played some first base. He's played right field. So, uh, you know, I think that versatility gives them plenty of options to get him in pretty regularly. Um, and, you know, and Chad Bender, if he can stay on the field, um, and again, he's he's one of these guys on the on the COVID list, and hopefully he's back soon. But um, they've always wanted to see what he could do if he was actually healthy enough to do it for a full season. Again, not a super high on base percentage guy, but he's somebody who probably could hit for higher average than, say, Brown would. Um, the powers has always been there. Um, and the fact that he can play pretty much anywhere, I think is, you know, pretty valuable when you're trying to stick somebody in your, in your fantasy bench. Um, so I, I think once he's back, you know, you should see him in the lineup pretty regularly. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he typically has moved around a lot, uh, but then he, had, he's played, I think what, nine games in left field so far this year. Is, is that a spot where, they're just going to kind of pencil him in there unless they really need him to move around somewhere else. Well, it's interesting. You know, he's really developed into an outstanding corner outfielder, which was a surprise given that he hadn't played outfield before he became a big leaguer. Um, and then, you know, with noisy emerging as an option at third base, they haven't needed Pinder at third base as much. Um, but they, I think, you know, played him a lot there in spring training. And I, depending on how the outfield shakes out, um, you know, you could see him being pushed to third base if they found three outfielders that they were wanting to play more regularly. So I think it's a little bit, I, I think, honestly, every day is going to kind of be, it's going to drive fantasy people uh, crazy, but it's going to be a little bit of a, a puzzle that they'll, they'll put together on a day-to-day basis uh, for a while. Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to set our projected athletics uh batting order the other day uh against righties and lefties and it was uh it gave me a headache just to <laughs> yeah. try to figure that out <laughs> try um, to be Marcante. <laughs> <laughs> um maybe i buried the lead here a little bit uh but i wanted to get the position players out of the way uh frankie montas you know he's he's probably the best player on the team uh, how long does he remain on this roster given all the pieces they've already traded away yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, like you got to the last couple of days of spring training, you thought maybe they're going to go with Montas and Manaya, you know, given that it was almost spring training was almost over and then they trade Manaya and you think, well, why would they hold on to Montas? And yet um, they're kind of in a position now where, you know, if you can pitch, you can be close enough to being competitive and um he does have another year before they have to make a decision because he's not a free agent until the end of next season. Um the trade deadline could create more pressure for teams to make better offers. I mean, the fact they were asking reportedly for Andrew Vaughn tells you that they're setting the their sights super high because, you know, I, I mean, Andrew Vaughn's a big league star now, right? So, um, I, you know, I think that's uh, a pretty strong indication that it's not going to be a quick move. But if someone blew them away, you know, I think they, they could um, make a deal. Yeah, I don't blame them for asking for that. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's the type of trade where – you know, the, the White Sox are in absolute win now mode and uh, Vaughn, you know, maybe he's a spare piece for them when they're at full health. So you might as well give that a, give that a try. Um, yeah, it'd be a win win for both teams, I would think. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think you're I think you're right. Um, and, it, and it would definitely be a win for Andrew Vaughn. So that he right. have to stop playing like left field and, and he'd be getting, back home. So it'd yeah. be pretty good for him, too. Um, so I, I picked up Paul Blackburn in some leagues uh recently uh i'm not extremely confident in in him having a breakout but i i could see how it would happen and i i think he's looked really good i when i watched him pitch i was just really uh impressed by his uh 
composure on the mound and his competitiveness uh, on the mound. Um, and obviously he's added some ticks to the fastball this year. Uh, how big of a believer are you in, in what Paul Blackburn's done so far? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, he's always been very composed. He's always been the guy that, you know, he came up in his first four or five big league starts with less stuff than he's got now. You know, he he was really effective and then he got hit by a comebacker, broke his hand and, and things haven't gone quite this way since then. Um, but it was interesting last year. I, you know, he had been DFA'd off the 40 man roster. He was pitching for Las Vegas wasn't really paying that close attention to him. And, you know, somebody said to me, listen, Paul Blackburn's good now. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah, he's, he's good now. Like he, he kind of realized, I think maybe when he was DFA that what, what he was doing was not going to get him back into a big league situation. And so um, he sat down with, I actually had an interview with uh, A's performing, uh, throwing performance coach, Casey Upperman uh, that came out um, this weekend and talked about, he, he, basically sat down with Upperman and sat down with uh, kind of pitch design folks and said, how can I, you know, get better? And from a physical perspective, he got stronger and, and more fit. Um, and from, you know, a, a couple of adjustments with his mechanics, he was able to do a few more things with his pitches to, to get them to play up more. And, you know, the, the, again, the competitiveness was always there. And I think the control was always pretty good. It's just that the stuff wasn't good enough that it was going to matter how well he could locate it. Um, and now it's a little bit better. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to look at somebody who's going to be like an ace or anything like that, but I think there's a, a decent possibility. He's a solid four or five for a while. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Uh, I'll take that on my AL only team. Um, all right. This is one where I think the the people that play fantasy are, are really going to be interested in your answer to uh, who leads the team and saves this year. Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah. Last night's was really interesting because you know that like Danny Jimenez had struggled through that ninth inning and, and got through it the night before. And then, you know, you start off with, with Sam Mall and you're thinking, is Sam Mall really going to get a big league save? And then, you know, Zach Jackson comes in and gets it. I, I think Trevino will, will have that role when he's healthy for, you know, a while, but I could see Danny Jimenez or Zach Jackson moving into that closer role. Um, I think it's going to be, Trevino most nights, but by committee in the beginning. And then you may see some, one of those two emerge and whether that's because Trevino is traded or whether it's because he goes back to a setup role, I think remains to be seen, but um, there's something about Trevino's off-speed pitches that hasn't quite been as effective. Like, you know, you've looked at the data so far, the, the fastball, he's getting a ton of swings and misses on, um, but the curveball, which is usually one of his most devastating pitches has gotten hit really hard. So you know, if that doesn't change, he may not be the best option there in the ninth inning. And, and uh, you know, Jackson's a guy I think would have moved into their bullpen last year had he not gotten hurt um, in Triple A. Uh, so uh, really interesting uh, kind of approach. He hides the ball really well. I think nobody sees him that that well um, when the pitch is getting there. So um, you know, however many save opportunities there are, I think he could probably end up getting a decent number of them. Interesting. Yeah, I, I did a uh, did some research on Jimenez uh, this this past week because it looked like he might figure into that but I hadn't uh, done any digging on Jackson that's that's a it's a good name to, to keep in mind yeah two, two guys that were on the Blue Jays roster a couple of years ago so it's uh, it's interesting how those two organizations have, have come together all right we are gonna head to a few messages from our sponsors and when we come back we are going to talk about the A's farm system we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bet against others with no fees involved. That's right. No pesky hidden fees to ruin your day. Better Edge is a social betting marketplace where there's no fee on each transaction. Better Edge is a social betting marketplace, and chances are it's legal in your state. We bring betting back to its social roots where you can like, comment, and challenge other users all within the app. Play without getting played at Better Edge. Go to betteredge.com. That's B-E-T-T-O-R-E-D-G-E.com to sign up today. Baseball is back. That's right. An entire glorious season, all 162 games. And with live events resuming, you can actually be there to catch all the action in person with vivid seats. Every backdoor slider, every round tripper, and every doubleheader can be experienced live. And with vivid seats rewards, you can start earning free tickets from your very first purchase. Just buy, collect stamps, and redeem. It's that easy. From behind the dugout to upper level, vivid seats has you covered for all the games that matter to you. Pro tip, buy tickets for your whole group, split the bill, and make progress towards your free tickets even faster. Just visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. All right, Melissa, we covered the big leaguers, and some of those guys are prospect eligible. Uh, and we can we can touch on some, some of those guys that we didn't hit that are still prospect eligible here. But I uh, wanted to touch in quick on uh, Tyler Soderstrom, obviously – uh, far and away, the A's top prospect. Um, at least that was that was the case. Certainly heading into the season and before all those those transactions they made, um, is he still just kind of leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of their prospects to you? And then what is sort of your uh, read on where he ends up defensively? Yeah, I mean, I think you know he is 
an outstanding, outstanding prospect. Um, I think within the organization, uh, he and Zach Geloff would have been one A and one B. Um, I think they, they are extremely high on both of them. And I don't know that they necessarily have that huge gap between the two of them that maybe nationally it's viewed. But, um, you know, Tyler is one of the more um, kind of composed and mature high school hitters I've seen in a really long time. I mean, he just came into pro ball basically like he was a 22 year old college senior in terms of his approach, um, his knowledge of the game. He works really, really hard, um, uses the opposite field as well as I've seen any 18, 19 year old hitter do, um, but also has the power to really pull the ball. Um, and he's being challenged right now. You know, he's, he's still one of the youngest players in that Midwest league and it's cold and he's never played in that weather. And I think that's, you know, he's off to a bit of a slow start, but I don't think that's dimmed any, um, expectations for him. You know, defensively, he took a lot of uh, steps forward at catcher. He takes a lot of pride in being a catcher and wants to stay there. So I think they're going to give him, you know, some, uh, leeway to, to stay there. Um, the plan is really that he, play like four, four games of six a week at behind the plate and those six game series. And then the other two, he'd either be at first base or DH. Um, so, you know, I think it remains to be seen. It, my guess is my gut is that he feeling is that he ends up a first baseman in the big leagues, just because the bat will eventually be so far ahead of the glove that you're not going to want to wait on it. Um, but you never know. And the fact that he does have that kind of work ethic, there, there's still a chance that, that he could stick at catcher. Yeah, I mean, first base is uh, certainly seems like a hole, uh, especially you know unless they they acquire someone like Andrew Vaughn. So, and right. then you, I mean, you could see a scenario where in <clears throat> like a year, fourteen months, uh, two of their better players are both guys that can play catcher. So uh, that'll that'll definitely be interesting to follow. But yeah, I mean, if he if he really hits and and kind of forces his way up the ladder with the bat. Um, first base would be a solid spot for him. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's some parallels to him as the high school potential first baseman and arriving at a similar time to Geloff as the polished college third baseman that you had with Matt Olson and Matt Chapman. And certainly that worked for them for a few years ago. Yeah. I'm, <clears throat> I'm loving what you're saying about Geloff. Cause I, I, uh, like after watching him this, I, I wasn't really plugged in on him, um, heading into the draft, but, uh, obviously he put up big numbers in his debut and, I just, he looks like such a natural at the plate. He's done nothing but hit at every stop since they drafted him. Uh, do you, does he remind you of anyone? Like what, what are his, uh, does he have any weaknesses that, he, that he's going to have to kind of polish up before he gets to the big leagues? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's uh, there's, there's a little swing and miss in there that I think uh, so many players come to professional ball with that, that he'll have to work on, but um, just a really electric player, like uh, his strength, you know, I th he didn't always try to hit home runs in college because that's just not the way that they play at Virginia, but um, he's got the power to do it. I think they've actually talked about how uh, Soderstrom had a little more of an understanding of how to attack pitches to hit, you know, look to hit homers than, than Geloff did just because of the style of play, even though uh, Sutterson was younger um, that Geloff had it at Virginia. So I think that's something they're, they're working on with him is getting him to get into that power a little more. Um, but, you know, he's got speed, he can hit for average. He's the power will be there because when he does get a hold of one, you know, you can really see it. Um, and, you know, defensively, there were some issues with his throwing in college because he had an injury 
injury, but since he's been healthy, the um, they felt like the throwing's been fine and they're trying him at second base as well, just so that he'll have the versatility to be able to do both. Because I think they, you know, again, envision a situation where you've got um, a number of good players that you can kind of move around. So um, I know I gave uh, the, the LeMahieu comp, comp with uh, noisy, but uh, defensively, I think they'd envision similar sort of thing with uh, Geloff. Interesting. And, and you, did you, did you kind of allude to the fact that you think he and Soderstrom maybe arrive on a similar timetable or do you, or do you see Geloff getting there like a year ahead of him? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Geloff is in double A and Soderstrom's in, in uh, you know, in high A. So probably Geloff gets there first, but maybe not a huge gap between them. You know, I, I think players don't necessarily have to spend as much time in triple A as they used to um, when, especially if they've got a really good, sense to hit. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that Geloff gets to the big leagues, even at the end of this year, I think probably more likely early next. Um, but it's also not out of the realm of possibility that Soderstrom reaches the big league sometime next year too. So um, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, they've got a lot of more moving parts than they had with before the trades in terms of other players that can sneak in ahead of those guys. Um, but I think uh, there's still a, a big opportunity for them to move whenever they're ready. So Max Muncy was uh, selected what, 35 picks ahead of uh, Geloff in, in last year's draft and uh, did not have the same type of debut, but obviously it was a really small sample in the complex uh, league. And he's off to a really hot start at low A, uh, but he is, he is striking out a decent amount. It's only been 10 games. Do you know what the team's sort of expectations were for him this year? Did they, did they see him breaking out? Yeah, they loved what he did in the offseason. I mean, they, they loved him when they drafted him, but they they really loved what the work that he did in the offseason. He added a lot of strength um, to his frame, which uh, I think, you know, they felt he needed. Um, they also really sat him down during instructs and basically were like, listen, you know, you could overpower the ball in high school because you weren't facing this sort of velo- this velo. They think he will have power as he physically gets bigger and stronger, um, but they want him to focus a lot more right now on being up the middle to the opposite field, learning to make uh, good solid contact without trying to pull the ball as much as he was trying to do it. And, you know, he's already actually run into, uh, you know, I think he's hit two grand slams already this season, Um, but he's getting hits really regularly. He's working the count better than he was uh, last year. He's running the bases really well. And defensively, they were already very pleased with how he handled short stop um and second base he's he's more mature defensively than he was even offensively so um yeah they really they were very excited about the entire draft class actually from last year i think they felt like um they came away with a lot of really good position players because so many other teams focused on pitching um and so you're seeing a lot of those guys get off to pretty good starts so i think the athletics had a a borderline unprecedented haul of incoming pitching prospects into the org this past off season. Um, like we, like we have JT Ginn, Gunnar Hogland, Joey Estes, uh, Ryan Cusick, Adam Oler, Colin Pellew or no Pellews was there. Um, yeah. Zach Logue, uh, Adrian Martinez, Am I forgetting anyone? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, those were the guys that they that they acquired. And then, you know, they they were able to get guys like Danny Jimenez um, as minor league free agent signings, too. They they did a much better job of of targeting those kind of players than they did last year. Also, who who kind of stands out to you from that group in terms of uh, someone that you're really 
bullish on uh, long term, or maybe even th that you know the org is just really high on um, compared to the others? Yeah, I mean, you know, Ryan Kusaker earlier today, you know, finally ran into a, a, a rough inning, which he had not had, uh, you know, in his professional career yet. But I mean, it's his first professional season, full professional season, and he's starting a double A, which I, I think Sonny Gray is the last one I could think of that, that they did that with. Um, and uh, they overwhelmed with his stuff you know he still got the change up to work on um but as gil patterson the minor league pitching coach our coordinator said when you throw your fastball and your breaking ball like that i guess you don't necessarily need to change up that much so um they, they really love his stuff jt ginn uh the sinker has just been they, you know they said it's just like a, a nasty nasty pitch and as that pitch has become a little bit more popular again um plus i think you know he's now a, a little more removed from the tommy john surgery i think some of that velo that maybe was lost last year kind of inches back up a little bit again um but they really like what what they've seen there um you know joey estes was a pop-up guy uh with the braves last year um I, they, I think, started him at high A, but expected he'll spend a decent amount of time at double A by the end of the year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, poor Adrian Martinez gets to go over and pitch in Las Vegas. So I think you're going <laughs> to, that nobody's, nobody enjoys that. But um, I think they like what he and potentially Adam Aller can provide to a back end of a rotation as, as well. But I think, you know, Ginn and, and um, Kustik now, and then Hogland once he's healthy and able to go, which I think they're looking like June for him to be able to get out to the field, um, those three are going to be really, uh, fun to watch, I think. What you meant since you mentioned uh, Estes and you mentioned uh, Cusick, uh, what you know, what kind of was your reaction, I guess, to that that haul for Matt Olson at the time, and has your um, has your take on it changed at all? Because I think like a lot of people, so many people follow prospects now strictly for like fantasy and dynasty mm -hmm. league value and that type of stuff. Uh, but I think this haul was definitely a a much stronger package of prospects from a real life standpoint than than from a fantasy standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I when I heard that's what they had got in return for Mattels, and I was immediately impressed. The, the the other ones took some digging to decide, you know, what they were seeing from from those packages. But that trade from just the reading the press release, you know, knowing what you'd seen about Pache, knowing what you'd seen about Langoliers and and Kusik, um, you know, and Kusik is a pitcher that they were on, you know, in the draft and he got picked one pick before Muncie. So to be able to get both those guys uh, essentially out of that draft is, is a pretty good um, situation for them. So, uh, you know, I, I think, um, I think that trade reminded me kind of like those, the, the Dan Heron to Arizona trade way back in the day, uh, the Gio Gonzalez trade uh, to the nationals back in the day, they, they got a variety of different players that can play different roles. I think um, they're, not that far from the big leagues, any of them. I mean, there there's still a, a few rungs to go, but it's not like they're taking you know rookie ball guys that they have to really reshape. These are guys that I think they know what they're getting, and they just kind of have to put the polishing touches on them. So um, I think from that perspective, it was a, a very strong haul, and um, it's extremely difficult to replace Maddles. And I don't know um, that you can replace Maddles, but I do think they got a lot of value for him. Yeah, Kusick, as you said. Uh... <laughs> he went uh, straight to double A this year, um, skipped over high A, and he has 42 strikeouts and 21 and a third uh, pro innings. So um, obviously the bat missing stuff is there. The, he generates ground balls and an excellent clip. 
is is it going to be like what do you think is more important for him just the command or does do you think he needs it the third pitch at all because like with when a guy has a really elite fastball slider combo uh, we've seen guys have success in recent years without that third pitch as you said um but with him just being so big uh, i guess i don't know how how you're projecting the command yeah i mean i think you know it can't hurt to have a good third pitch and i think they've seen enough of the change up occasionally flash as at least usable that it's worth pursuing um, and it's worth maybe taking a few lumps to see if you can get it because you're going to be better if um, you know if you have that extra weapon um, interestingly he's in the same rotation now with Colin Pellius who you mentioned earlier and they were both at Wake Forest um, different years but you know roughly the same time and they're similar in that big body power from the legs um, can get a lot of swing and miss uh, but Pellius has a few more uh, options he doesn't have the elite stuff but he's got very very good stuff and a few more weapons he can he can pull out um, but the change up too with him is inconsistent so uh, with both of them I think that'll probably be the focus um, you know in Midland at the beginning of the year but they know what they have with the other two pitches if the, that one doesn't work out if that makes sense right yeah I, that's that's great that you brought up Pelius. Uh, I mean I think just kind of talking through this you're you're going to have some pitching prospects who just don't pan out, um, whether it's injuries or, you know, just pitching at the big league level is really, really hard, but they've given themselves a lot of bites at the apple. Uh, and it did seem like they, with maybe the exception of Estes, they were prioritizing guys that were close to the majors in those trades. Yeah, I think so. And I think historically that's what you've seen them target with pitching when they've acquired them in trades. Um, and I, I, you know, I, as I talked about the draft a little bit last year too, I mean, it was almost amusing to see some teams zero in so much on pitching and that did allow them to go reach for a, a lot of position players that they felt fell to them in different rounds. Um, but that did mean that they, you know, bypass some pitchers as they were doing that. So um, being able to bring those guys in, you know, created that depth because yeah, for every one pitcher that you have success, you probably need five or six that are throwing well in the minor leagues um, to get that to stick. And I think that's a, you know, always been their philosophy is to, to add as much as they can there. So the, the headliner um, in the Sean Manaya uh, return, uh, Uribiel Angeles, am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Um, he obviously the bat to ball, the the batting averages he's logged in the lower levels as a as an age appropriate player, very very impressive. I think a lot of people, at least sort of on the outside, were kind of like that's all it took to get Sean Manaya, uh, because he wasn't a guy who was you know top one hundred prospect or anything like that. But uh, what's sort of the scouting report on him, both offensively and defensively, for you, and and how much power do you see him growing into long term? Yeah, I think the power is sort of a remain to be seen, right? Because I think there's some question as to where he physically he, you know, ends up with his maturation. Um, but the the bat to ball and the approach are all already pretty advanced, um, you know. So I think I think he'll hit, um, and I, you know, he may whether he ends up being more like a Tony Kemp type offensive player in the big leagues, or whether he ends up being somebody who. Um, can add some power and become, you know, a more special player, I think remains to be seen. Um, you know, I think shortstop, uh, they'll see if it can stick there um, and they'll, they'll give it a shot. He'll get a lot of time at second base as well. Um, but I, I think they feel like he's an up the middle, you know, talent. It's just whether it's enough for an, an arm for an everyday shortstop or not. 
Uh, I kind of skipped over him, but how how has uh, Dalton Jeffries looked this year? I, I'm always kind of just bracing for the next yeah. setback on the physical side, but uh, you know the strikeouts just haven't uh, haven't been there uh, in recent years the way that they were back in in 2019. Uh, obviously, he's prevented runs, but how, how's he looked this year? Yeah, he's he's looked really good. I mean, he's you know, again, knock on wood, right? Like to stay healthy. But um I think, you know, he's more of the traditional ground ball pitcher that you um probably would have seen in the league more five or six years ago. Um extremely efficient. I mean, I think he's been at like 60 pitches in the sixth inning, uh, you know, or you know, fifth inning or whatever in each of his first two starts. Um, and you can live with that, right? Like, and I think the swing and miss stuff hasn't necessarily come yet, but that wasn't really how he was pitching. I think he was pitching aggressively to get weak contact. Um, and so, you know, he, he, he's got, enough stuff. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's got enough stuff that he can get strikeouts. I think if he tries to set him up more, but that was where he was getting himself in trouble a little bit with some of his big league outings last year um, and his debut in 2020. Um, so I think his style of pitching to weak contact has been working for him. Um, and, you know, if, if he's behind defenses that can handle that, I think he'll have, uh, he'll have success. So I, I it's, um, it's a similar profile to Sonny Gray, but it's not um, quite as much swing and miss, I think. And then another guy that's had a, a ton of trouble uh, just staying healthy, which is really, really unfortunate given how promising he seemed uh, a few years ago is A.J. Puck. Uh, what what kind of role do you think the A's kind of envision for him in that in that bullpen at this point? I, I assume they are have they pulled the plug on him as a starter officially? I know he's been working on the bullpen this year, but what, what kind yeah. of role do they envision for him? You know, they haven't officially, like they were talking about it in spring training, but it was like a two week spring training. There was no way they were going to build him up. And um, I, I, you know, I actually probably should have had him as a, as much of a candidate as Jackson um, and Jimenez for saves uh, really like he's got the stuff obviously that he could turn into a Josh Hader kind of uh, closer for you pretty quickly. If he could stay healthy, um, it, it's really just been a run of bad luck. Like every time he seems like he's on a roll, something happens. And in this case it was, you know, landing on the COVID IL, but um, he's off it today. So, you know, assuming he's healthy and able to go, he's really looked pretty good in his first couple of outings so far this season. Uh, confidence, I think, was a big thing and just mentally trusting that he could find an arm slot that he's going to not feel pain when he's throwing. And it took some time for them to find one for him. And I think uh, Upperman had a, a quote in that article where it was basically like this, not searching for the perfect delivery, but searching for the perfect delivery for AJ. And so um, I think they think he's found one. Um, and if he can find that and keep it, you know, he's been back up to 96, 97, as opposed to 93, where he was last year. And he still got that swing and miss breaking ball. Um, you know, he could end up becoming an elite reliever if he stays healthy, but you know, it's just hard to know, um, how that health is going to hold up over time. It wasn't that long ago that, uh, we were talking about Austin Beck and Lazarito <laughs> being, uh, two of the more exciting A's prospects. And I really hope that Pedro Pineda is not heading down that same uh, path. And, um, you know, Robert Poisson is, is kind of in that mix as well. Uh, just guys where you could really dream on the the tools, but the hit tool, uh, the most important tool just isn't quite there. Uh, what, where do you stand on sort of Pineda's chances of, of making good on the, the power and speed upside that he has? 
Yeah, I actually, you know, he, they were really um, pleased with the kind of aptitude that he showed coming over last year. Um, I think they felt like his bat to ball skills were more advanced than a number of the players they had brought over from the Academy in recent years, including, you know, most specifically um, uh, Poisson. Um, so, you know, he's the, I think, second youngest player in the Cal League right now. Um, they're giving him an aggressive assignment because they felt like he could handle it. Uh, he got hit on the hand over the weekend and uh, didn't play uh, on Tuesday. I don't know if he's going to be out for a little while, but um, you know, he's, he was already hit, holding his own uh, pretty well, all things considered. Uh, physically, he's got a lot more growing to do, uh, just like proper nutrition and getting, you know, all the strength on. He's made a lot of progress there. He's going to continue to make a lot of progress there. They love his work attitude. They love his coachability, which um, hasn't always been the case with some of the other guys you mentioned. Um, so I think, um, I think there's still a, a world of possibility for Pedro. I think um, uh, Poisson, I, you know, he's made progress. Um, he's still, you know, like can fall into this, I'm swinging at whatever I want to swing at kind of thing. Um, but he, he's made some progress. He's also still, I think, one of the 10 youngest players in that league. And it was a very, very aggressive assignment for him to go out to uh, low A last year. Um, but uh, I think Pedro is probably a little more polished than uh, Robert, even though Robert's had an extra year of pro ball. Do you know what the reasoning was for that assignment of of Poisson last year? Because it just it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, part of it was frankly they just needed him to be there because he was healthy, and they didn't. Uh, they had a number of injuries um, in spring training, and they they needed someone to be there. And I think they felt like, you know, what he hadn't seen in the DR because he had not been part of like a regular league or anything was just. Uh, elite philosophy and um, the way that professional pitchers approach hitters. He was just mostly showcase kind of stuff. So, you know, I think they felt like baptism by fire. Um, and there were several times where they thought about sending him back to Arizona and they felt like he was learning more in that environment than he would have been in, in Arizona. And to his credit, you know, he never dropped his head. He didn't give up. Um, he just kept going out there and, and, and pushing forward. So, um, you know, development's kind of a not a linear thing. Um, and, uh, it, he's certainly shown in flashes the talent that everybody had seen from him. So that if that it's in there, I think they can be patient and, and kind of see where it comes. And it may just be one of those things where it takes a couple of years of bad numbers and then all of a sudden things come together for him, you know, or it that never does. But, uh, I think that talent is still in there for him. So Melissa, we've, we've touched on, uh, most of the the ace prospects that I have in my top twenty, uh, but is there is there anyone that you think uh, we really need to to hit on who who's maybe more highly thought of? And then follow up to that: is there anyone who's really under the radar right now that you've been hearing really good things about? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know two guys that probably are a little more well known um, out of last year's draft are uh, Denzel Clark and, and Mason Miller. Um, uh, and, Mason's been um, rehabbing a minor injury in spring training right now. So uh, hopefully he gets out, but he was throwing a hundred in, in spring. And I think he's going to be a pretty exciting arm to join that group. We talked about earlier when he's healthy. Um, but Denzel Clark is just, I mean, I don't know how he got to the fourth round. Um, you know, obviously there was a, like not a lot of time to see him play at Northridge because of the pandemic. Um, and there's still some like, you know, polishing that needs to be done that maybe you wouldn't normally see with a college player just because he didn't get a ton of time there. And coming over from Canada, he hadn't necessarily played as many um, games as like a kid from Southern California would have. But um, 
he's got power. He's got speed. He can throw. He's, um, you know, a guy that's a smart hitter. You can use the whole field. Um, and, you know, if, if the mechanic stuff smooths out for him, he could move really quickly, even though they started him in low A, I think just to give him a little bit of uh, space, um, he could become a really exciting prospect very, very quickly. Um, and then, you know, just sort of as like some of the more little fun under the radar guys, you know, uh, Max Schumann's a guy that stole more than 50 bases last year. Um, at uh, I think he moved up uh, three levels. Um, I, he's never going to be like a probably a superstar starter or anything, but he's the kind of guy that gets on a roster and, and comes off a bench and steals a lot of bases and he can play um, all the infield positions and center field. So just sort of a fun, like under the radar type um, player for, you know, fantasy purposes that can give you those. The stolen bases thing is such a, a fun area and you don't see that much in the A system. So he kind of stands out that way. Yeah, that's a, that's a good name. Uh, Max Schumann. Um, and then just quickly circling back on Clark. <clears throat> yeah. I, I almost asked you about him, uh, but you know, it's tough to really know how, how real it is when it's a, it's a 21 year old who's about to turn 22 at, at low a, but, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, he's, he's really producing right now. I mean, if that, if they hit on, I mean, with Geloff, Muncie and Clark, I mean, that could be a really strong class of position players from, from last year's draft. Yeah, I think so. And, and I mean, it just, if you see Clark physically, like, you know, that Stockton's worn the same uniform for like 20 years. Right. So you've seen a lot of players move in there. You've seen like Chris Carter's go through there and different players fill that out. He fills out a uniform. <laughs> I mean, it, he's, he's a physical specimen. He looks like he plays middle linebacker in the NFL. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see what he can do with his physical tools um, and his work ethic, because it's, it's a pretty exciting package. He's, he's listed at six, five two twenty. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I think the 220 might be a little bit um, on the low side. Like okay. he's probably like six five two forty. Yeah, and he's still he's still running well. Yeah, you know, I think they said like that's the thing where they're like, well, eventually he'll probably have to be like a right fielder. Um, but he's got the long strides, and he's got that. His mom was a, a Olympic track athlete for uh, Canada, and he's got that like sprinter mentality too. That once he gets going, he's he's really uh, off on his horse. So um, who knows? You know, some of those some of those guys that it can, can keep it even at that um, at that body build. So um, it'll be interesting to see. But the power, I think, will come, and it'll be really really impressive with him. All right. Well, that's that's awesome. Uh, great report on Clark there, uh, Melissa. Why don't you uh, let everyone know where they could follow you and and follow your work? Yeah, you can find my stuff um, at The Athletic and on Twitter at, at Melissa Lockard. It's uh, L-O-C-K-A-R-D. Everyone likes to put an H in there, but there's no H. So um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter there. And uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for, for taking the time. Uh, I know you're busy, but this was awesome. I was so glad you were able to make it. Um, this has been the, the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. Uh, I'll be back with you next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.